The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Yes, yes. Uh, My name is Victor. You can find me serving on the Story City Youth Team. Today, I'll be reading scripture. Um, I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, 24 through 28. The first round, I'm going to read in English, and then the second go around, I'm going to read in French. And at the end of that, I'm going to say, thanks, uh, this is the word of the Lord, and you guys will respond, thanks be to God. So with that, I'd like everyone to please stand. All right, here we go. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. I prayed for the boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord for as long as he lives. He has given to the Lord, then the worship the Lord there. Uh, here we go, now in French. Quand le sevrait le fit monter avec elle, et prit trois taureaux, un effa de farine, et une autre, autre de vin. Il le mana dans la maison de l'Éternel, à Silo. L'enfant était encore tout jeune. Ils ergorgeront le taureau, ils y conduisiront l'enfant à Elie. On dit, « Mon Seigneur, pardon, aussi vrai que ton homme vite, mon Seigneur, je suis cette femme qui me tenait ici près de toi pour prier l'Éternel. C'était pour ce enfant que je priais, et l'Éternel a excusé les prières que je lui adressais. Aussi, je voulais prêter à l'Éternel et sera toute sa vie prêtée à l'Éternel. Ils se prosterneront le devant l'Éternel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate that. Good morning and welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. You guys doing well this morning? No. Okay. Some of you dads were up late last night trying to buy cards last minute. I get it. It kept you from sleeping. That's okay. We got you. Uh, Again, welcome. My name is Jared. I have the privilege of being one of your pastors here. And uh, man, what a a great morning. Story City exists to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships, healthy relationships with Jesus and others. I think that's really important. Now, we are talking about Mother's Day. And so um, on this day, we want to recognize that some of you had fantastic moms, that you had amazing, wonderful moms, and we're thankful for your experience. But we also know and recognize that some of you did not have wonderful moms, did not have good experiences with your mom. We know that today can be a painful one for many of you. Some of us have lost our moms. Some of us have had moms that were poor examples of what it meant to be a mom. Some of us are trying to become moms and suffer each time we feel like others take for granted the fact that they have kids, that we don't get the deepest desires of our heart met. Um, This can be a tough day, and we recognize that. And so here's what we want to celebrate. Whether your mom was and is amazing or whether she was not, whether you have become a mom or are still waiting, whether you've lost children or you still have children, we are celebrating the fact that your mom had you because we are really glad that you personally are here. And so we want to celebrate with you today. We've got some flowers. We've got a photo photo area with a photographer available And so we just, again, want to remind you that we love you, we're thankful for you, we hope that you experience the love of Jesus this morning. Good? 
All right, let's pray and we will jump into our message. Father, I thank you that you are exactly what we need. You are there whether our parents are good or not good. You are faithful and good whether or not we've had good experiences or bad experiences. We thank you that even what the enemy means for evil, even the bad things that happen in our lives, Father, you find a way to redeem not meaning that we get good answers right now, not meaning that everything it feels wonderful, but meaning that you find ways to use even those things that are meant for evil to develop character and perseverance and faith that you help us to, Lord, help others walk through the same type of tra- tragedies and triumphs that we've walked through, that you use those things in us to, to help shape and define us as we help point others to you. And so I thank you that you are enough that you are everything that we need. And I pray this morning that we would, Lord, not only experience your presence today, but that we would see you in a new light, that we would understand you in a new way, that we would have more hope because of who you are and what you've done. We love you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we're continuing our series this morning called The Living Story, What's Yours? by looking at a woman named Hannah. And in Hannah's story, we're going to see how God's timing is best, how Hannah stewards the suffering that she's been given, and the contrast between her and a priest's heart, and the the difference between their heart and God and what that means for us. And so let's take a look at what brought us to our scripture today. Now, uh, there were some really hard words in this uh, passage, and so I gave Victor a small portion because it wasn't fair to try and give him these hard words, and then I, I, I had to practice these, so I'm going to do my best here, but this, is, this was not easy. Okay, so 1 Samuel, it's, uh, if you open your Bible about to the Psalms, uh, if you open your Bible to the middle, that's the Psalms. If you go for a few more books, you'll start getting to the prophets. The prophets are broken into majors and minors, majors just meaning they wrote more, and minors meaning they wrote less, so that's the only difference. Samuel is one of, it's easier to find because it's more pages, And so uh, you'll find the prophet Samuel there in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Here we go. There was a man from Ramatim Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Yerohim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. See, I told you, I'm working hard on these. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where. Okay, I've got this. It's not Eli, it's Eili. It's going to take me a minute to get this. Eili's two sons, Hophni and Pinhas. I'll be honest, when I see that, I see Phineas. There's no verb. I'm just saying Phineas. Pinhas were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her, because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Are you troubled? 
Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest, Eli, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and drank no longer and looked. uh, She ate and no longer looked despondent. Okay. Hannah here is unable to have children. And on top of that, she's had to deal with this rival wife, which is just proof, by the way, that uh, two wife thing is not a good idea. Sounds miserable to me. Even though Josh with his seven kids is like, I could use four or five more wives that would help. We were joking about this on Friday that no one asked for dual husbands because that's useless. So (laughs) I jest, I jest. But here's the deal. In ancient Israel, um, not being able to conceive was was a a, a social status thing in addition. Now, we still see some of that today, right? Uh, Those who have had kids sometimes don't realize the stigma that comes around. Those who are single, those, uh, which is wonderful, by the way. Those who have not had kids, which is wonderful, by the way, often hear, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? And so sometimes without realizing it, there's this pressure and this stuff that comes for those who are in different stages of life. And there's this expectation like you're not whole or you're not right because you haven't reached this place or this peak of expectation. And this is exactly what Hannah is feeling. But on top of that, this rival who's a sister wife here, is constantly picking on her for it, harassing her year after year, day after day, month after month. Now, children in ancient Israel were symbols of fulfillment. And so there was, it, was being, it was seen as a sign of either big sin in your life or of not having the blessing of God if you didn't have children. And so she has this double burden. But verse 6 also tells us That it was the Lord that kept her from conceiving. Like many of us, Hannah was sure that she had a right to be bitter. If you look at it, it just seems so unfair. And so she looks at her life and and, and she's experiencing all this stuff. She doesn't have the blessing of God, it seems. And and, and she's got a rival that's constantly provoking her. And to be fair, her husband's not helping much either. I mean, his statement is, Hannah, why are you crying? Hannah, her husband would ask, Why won't you eat? Why aren't you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Husbands, here's a free Mother's Day lesson. (laughs) What, I'm not enough for you? Is not a great response. Okay. Uh, What's the matter? I'm not better than ten sons? Like, that doesn't help the issue right now, right? Uh, Men, obviously, we haven't changed a lot in 3,000 years. Um, But he loves her deeply and he's trying, so keep that in mind too, right? Uh, But why is God holding back here? Why is God holding back? Why 
If he loved her, did he not just grant the deepest desire of her heart? If you take notes today, this is our first observation from Hannah's experience. God's timing is always right. God's timing is always right. Now, I'm going to caveat that with saying God's timing does not always make sense. Is that fair? God's timing is always right, even if God's timing does not always make sense. Now, in verse 19, the Bible says that God remembered her. But this word translated as remembered, we lose a lot in the English language because it means more like acted in an appropriate manner or acted on behalf of. It's, it's like God is responding in this moment to her pain, her suffering, her brokenness, her despair, her crying out. And, and God acts on behalf, bless you, of her. Not long after, Eileen the priest blesses her, God answers her prayer, and she becomes pregnant with a little boy named Samuel. Let's pick up the story back in verse 24. She's true to her promise to God, and she brings Samuel to the temple. Verse 24. When she, which is Hannah, had weaned him, that's Samuel, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. Now, one of the amazing things about the Bible is over and over and over again, the Bible shows us how women of faith had had huge roles in shaping the church and shaping Israel's history and shaping church history. And Hannah is one of them. Her faith actually helped turn the tide and God used this, this prophet to come in and change from the time of the judges of Israel when Israel was getting more and more wicked and to move into a time where there was these prophets that ruled and then there was kings. Now, uh, the end of the book of Judges says that in those days, people did whatever they wanted to in front of the Lord. They just did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. And so this time of prophets, God is using these people to begin shaping the heart of Israel and saying, this is what I want from you. And so there's this beautiful transition back towards God because of prophets, including ones like Samuel. And so this is an interesting time because you see that Israel is led by this prophet who deeply loved God and loved people, and it comes from this moment of tragedy with Hannah. The Lord allows us to experience pain and suffering and frustration and even tragedy, but he always ensures that those things bring about what's best for us and for his kingdom. When the Bible says that God works everything according to our good, it doesn't mean that everything works out for good. It means everything works out for our good, right? It doesn't mean everything's going to turn out happy. Everything's going to turn out easy. Everything's going to turn out without chaos or without pain. It means that everything that we experience and go through will ultimately be what's best for us and best for his kingdom. So he doesn't promise we won't go through hard times. He promises that those hard times will always have a purpose that benefits us in the long term. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That's exactly what that verse means. Now, in this case, timing was everything. See, had Hannah not struggled with infertility, she may not have sought the Lord the same way. There was this desperation. Have you ever been to the place where you're, you're crying and your, words are, your mouth is moving, but it's like no words are coming out? There's this sense of like, God, I, I, I need you and I have nothing else to say or do. I, I just don't know what else there is. 
If you've ever cried to the place where there's just no more tears left, this is that moment. And if she had not struggled and wrestled with God, she may not have had this place, this desire in her heart. She may have never made her vow to give her son to the Lord if he were not the answer to her prayer. And Samuel becomes one of the most significant and influential prophets in Israel's history. But, but there's something else that's happening here, too. Just like the past two weeks, the story is not always about the story, right? In David and Goliath, we found out that the story is not a contrast between David and Goliath. It was a contrast between King Saul and future King David. Last week, we found out that it wasn't really about the three guys in the furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was really about Yahweh versus King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar recognizing that Yahweh is the one true God. This story is the same. The priest Eli is a priest who loves God, but he loves his kids more. His kids become horrific example of priests. They're stealing from the people. They're, They're desecrating God's sanctuary. They are evil. Now listen, the Bible is very clear that those of us who take this title pastor, who stand up here and communicate God's word, that there is a heavier and harsher judgment than others. There is not a time I don't get up here where I am not, and anybody that stands up here should never get up here without realizing that we have a weighty responsibility in communicating the nature and character of God. It should scare the snot out of us, right? It should. Many of us as pastors are not fearful enough of the ramifications of that, and Eli allows his kids the same. God tells Eli that he's going to allow him to be a priest, but that he's going to take the priesthood away from his family because of his son's wickedness, and that he's going to take his son's lives away, and that he's going to give the priesthood to somebody else. And this boy, Samuel, is the one that is going to take the priesthood in that same way. And so the story is ultimately about two parents, one who says, my children are actually more important to me than God, and the other says, God is more important to me even than my children. If you're taking notes today, this is the second observation. We are stewards of what God gives us. Stewards meaning that we're responsible for, that God holds us accountable to the things that he gives us. We are stewards as apprentices of Jesus, as people who are learning at the feet of our master Jesus. We're watching, we're learning, we're experiencing, we're doing with him. As we do those things that God gives us, whatever he has given us, all things come from God. And as he gives us those things, we are stewards of them. We're responsible for them. And so Hannah shows us that in this passage that true power is not to be found in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. I will say that again. Thank you. It's perfect timing. (laughs) Hannah shows us in this passage that true power is to be found not in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. Hannah is in the deepest anguish when she comes before God. She's hurting as she pours her heart. She is so hurting as she pours her heart out that it actually appears that she's drunk. This is a place of true desperation. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. That's a deep place. Ailee responded, go in peace. That is a beautiful response. And may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. You can circle that word request in your Bibles if you like. I promise you don't go to hell for writing in your Bible, okay? So go ahead, mark it up, it's fine. 
circle it, highlight it if you're on your phone, whatever. But that word request is important. And I went on her way. She ate and was no longer despondent. That go in peace is literally go with shalom. And it's more than just peace. It's actually a place of spiritual wholeness. It's a place of, of complete wellness that has nothing to do with, with you know, busyness uh, and, and slowing down. It has to do with, with a peace no matter the circumstances. It's, it's like, you know when, um, when you're in a really good spot and somebody says something bad about you, you're just like, whatever, I'm good, right? Because it's not, it's not a big deal. You're just like, that's that person's issue. When you aren't healthy, what do we do? Somebody says bad about us, and man, we, we get consumed by it. It's almost like they questioned our very identity, and we like, am I that person? Do I do that? Like, we, we can't let things just roll off our back. We take them, and we internalize them, and we wrestle with them, right? Like, we can't handle them in, in healthy ways, and this is exactly, shalom is like, no, we're good. Physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we're good holistically. And so this is what he says, go with shalom, be, be physically, spiritually, emotionally well. But even more interesting also comes from verse 17. Hannah Anah makes a promise to God that if God gives her a son, she will give him to God all the days of his life and he will not have his hair cut. This is a Nazarite vow. It's a vow that dedicated the person to be set aside for God's use for the entirety of their life. And uh, it, it, is, it is this like hey, a continual promise before God. And so um, God, Hannah is basically saying, if you loan me a child, I'll give you back what's rightfully yours. Is essentially what she's saying. God, if you give me this child, I'm going to give him back to you. So it's a loan. Fulfill this deepest desire of my heart. And if you do, I'm actually going to give the deepest desire of my heart up. That is so opposite of what many of us would want. The word for request here is she'elah. It means request or petition, but it infers a loan. It's like saying, when he, when he approves this, he said, may God approve your loan request. And so in the midst of her bitterness, here's how Hannah handled this. She took two vital steps. First, she actually brings her bitterness to God. She says, God, I'm bitter. I'm in anguish. And she said, here you go. I want you to do something with this. She's honest. It doesn't keep her from God. She brings that to God. And second, she began to reorder her priorities. God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Lord, would you fulfill this because you are enough for me and if you fulfill this for me and you are enough, I will actually give him back to you. And so she makes this commitment to dedicate the son she prayed for to the Lord. She no longer wanted the child just for herself. She began to look beyond her own needs and to envision the good that that might do for others. This is what the Bible is talking about in Psalm 37 four to five, where it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to him, Lord, trust in him and he will act. Take your delight to the Lord. It's like saying, Lord, here's my gift of delight. Here's my gift of gratitude. Here's my gift of thanks. Hannah's heart was right before the Lord, but it's still a matter of God's perfect timing. This isn't to say that if you do all the things right, that God will give you exactly what you want, when you want. It's, it's not that God owes you anything, Right? This is saying that God used the situation both to show Hannah how much he loved her, but also to bless the entire nation of Israel through Hannah's son when the nation of Israel needed it most. The reality is, is anything we have comes from God, even our children. Now listen, some of us would really like to give our children back sometimes. 
especially in the teenage years. I know some of you haven't got there yet. You will. There's times you're like, God, would you just take this one back? Like, love to share this with another family. And there's times, there's seasons, right? So if you're like in the terrible twos right now, you're like, yes, that's me. Sign me up. Somebody take them for a couple years. (laughs) Ephraim, you can't give up your brothers and sisters. It doesn't work that way. It's not what we're talking about. But there's sometimes that God calls our children back to him before we're ready for them to. There's sometimes what we would never want to give them up, and yet God brings them back. Either way, we love our children, and our responsibility is to steward them for the time of the season that God gives them, whether that's for an entire life or whether it's for a moment. And see, this principle that we're talking about today actually goes beyond children. Some of you are like, I'm single, you just talked about how great that is, and then you're talking about kids. The, the reality is, is this principle is for all of us to understand. Because when we understand that we are stewards of what God brings into our life, then we begin to understand that we have to honor God with everything we are and do and have. Our money, our time, our relationships, everything is supposed to be given back to God. We also know that we can come to God to meet those needs, but it'll always be in his timing and in his way. And there's this process of learning how to trust God and know that he has best, what's best in mind for us even when things don't work out, even when things don't seem to make sense because he is loving and faithful even when we are not. There's one last aspect of the story that I think it's important for us to see and it's in relation to why Hannah gave her son back to God. Author P. Lau writes, all firstborn people and animals were understood as belonging to God. In commemoration of Israel's redemption from Egypt and the 10th plague, every firstborn male, animal or human, was to be consecrated to God for the rest of eternity. And so God actually asked the nation of Israel, every firstborn needs to come back to me. And you could buy that child back, redeemer price, basically what it meant was like, hey, I'll give an offering to God, and then the child didn't have to be in God's service, but she chooses not to do that. It comes from Exodus 13.2. It says, consecrate every firstborn male to me, the firstborn from every woman among the Israelites, both man and domestic animal, is mine. Hannah is giving up her firstborn, her only child, for the greater good of Israel points to God the Father giving up his son to do the same. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. See, Jesus is the true and better Samuel through whom God would rescue and renew all creation back to him. Now, more than 3,000 years ago, God interacted with this woman, Hannah, and met her right in the middle of her pain and brokenness. And Jesus actually walks with her through healing and restoration. He wants to do the same for us today. The Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his character or stop loving his people. Now, Pastor Tim Keller says something really profound. He says, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's control. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is control. We don't have to have a blind, naive, non-questioning stance with God. He allows doubt. He allows questioning. He allows anguish. We see this with Hannah. But we need to learn to trust him by giving him control despite our doubts and fears. You might ask, how on earth do I do that? Because that's really hard. And so I'd like to offer us one practical way to start stewarding well and letting go of control today. If you're taking notes, this is our third and final observation. Radical gratefulness is the key to good stewardship and trusting God. We talked about stewardship today. We talked about trusting God. How do we get there? We get there through radical gratefulness. In his book, Ruthless Trust, Brennan Manning writes, 
the foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. Gratitude arises from the lived perception, evaluation, and acceptance as all of life as grace, as an undeserved and unearned gift from the Father's hand. Such recognition is itself the work of grace, and acceptance of the gift is implicitly an acknowledgement of the giver. The grateful heart cries out in the morning, thank you, Lord, for the gift of a new day, and it continues to express its gratitude as the blessings unfold. Brennan continues to lay out this principle of trust and stewardship through gratitude by quoting Nowen. He writes, The sorely missed Henry Nowen wrote of the spiritual work of gratitude. To be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy, but to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work. Still, we are only grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to the present moment. Mother's Day is the perfect day to ensure we are practicing gratitude. But let's not stop with Mother's Day. Let's build hearts that are grateful for everything that God does in us and through us, whether it's good in the moment or not good in the moment. Let us... Let that gratitude change the way we steward our circumstances and our relationships. Let's let all of this build a healthy trust as we apprentice Jesus each and every day. Let's pray. God, you are incredible. I thank you that you are faithful and good, that your timing is always right. I thank you that you give us the opportunity to steward the gifts, the talents, the time, the resources, the relationships, that even the pain, the sorrow, that those stewarding of those things are ways that you help us to build trust in you, to let go of control, to let you do what's best for us, in us and through us. God, it's not easy. But I pray that we would start with hearts of gratitude, that we would thank you for the difficult times as well as the good times, that we would celebrate with you in both, knowing that you are with us, you are beside us, you are in us. And so, God, we celebrate you. Help us to have grateful hearts in the name of Jesus.